Taiwan's new southbound policy has opened up greater opportunities for Taiwan to strengthen relations with nearby countries through both governmental and non-governmental means alike. Under Tsai Ing-wen, Taiwan's economic diversification in ASEAN, South Asia, and Oceania has pivoted to focus more on people-to-people -people ties. Today, Dr. Xiao will outline the vital role of civil society in Taiwan's regional outreach and their regional soft power. So let's get into it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Taiwan Salon, the Global Taiwan Institute's cultural policy and soft power podcast. My name is Adrian Wu, the host of Taiwan Salon, and a research assistant at GTI. And I'm Marshall Reed, a program manager at GTI. Today we are joined by Dr. Michael Xiao, Chairman of the Taiwan Asia Exchange Foundation and Chairman for the Center of Southeast Asian Studies at National Zhengzhou University. Dr. Xiao is also an adjunct research fellow with the Institute of Sociology at Academia Sinica and a professor of sociology at National Taiwan University and National Sun Yat-sen University. He served as National Policy Advisor to the President of Taiwan between 1996 and 2006 and is currently Senior Advisor to the President of Taiwan. So, um, yeah, thank you so much, Dr. Xiao, for joining us. Um, I'd like to begin somewhat broadly to set the stage for Taiwan's current efforts related to soft power. According to Joseph S. Nye, soft power comes from three sources, culture, political values, and foreign policy. In your opinion, what are the key sources of Taiwan's soft power? Well, I think that Taiwan's soft power, the sources can be all of them, you know. Uh, but I want to highlight that the Taiwan experience after World War II can be a source of its own merit. Because the Taiwan experience include democratization, economic growth and social diversity, and also the uh, cultural pluralism. So I would say that Taiwan experience itself can be a showcase to share with many, many countries or societies in the developing world. So I think the Taiwan experience leads to the cultural diversity and also they include literature, they include the films, they include intellectual development and so on and so forth. So I think to highlight the Taiwan experience may be a very unique case to stress. But how can the Taiwan experience be showcased in Taipei's new southbound policy? The new southbound policy consists of four pillars, economic and trade collaboration, people-to-people -people exchange, resource sharing, and lastly, regional links. While the government focuses mainly on trade, agriculture, and public health, the Taiwan Asia Exchange Foundation has their own action plan to build on what the government is doing. But our in our foundation, the Taiwan Asia Exchange Fund, we are trying to push for another five uh, action plans that include youth development, youth leadership, second on um, the think tank linkages, and third is NGO collaboration, and fourth is a culture and art, and the fifth is a regional resilience to prepare for the natural and man-made disasters. So I think we can use the Taiwan experience to share with the countries that we have in mind through the, the above five uh, non-governmental approaches. Well, that's great. You, you know, you mentioned these sort of non-governmental approaches, and I think that's a really interesting part of the NSP is, you know, going outside these sort of traditional avenues for cooperation. 
I think a, a big part that you kind of highlighted is that these people-to-people relations really are one of the big pillars of the NSP. Can you, can you elaborate by what is included in these people-to-people ties and how does Taiwan hope to strengthen these relations and what are some obstacles that Taiwan has encountered? The people is the target, is the purpose of New Southbound policy, rather than uh, money, rather than diplomacy, rather than uh, gaining the international recognition or in that specific, not, not in that narrow specific uh, aspect. So I think the people-to-people uh, relations is our concern. That can, can be done through NGOs. So that's why we have an NGO corporation. And that's why we have the intellectuals in the think tank uh, collaboration. And that's why we have the cultural experts and literature people and the musician and artists to work together uh, in various, uh, various uh, programs. And, and that's why we focus on the people approach. Of course, people, we don't talk about individual people to individual per se. We are talking about a specific organized way through the what I described, the think tank, NGOs, art group, musicians, and so on and so forth. So I think it's important. We also wanted to stress, we hope the New South Bond policy, the beneficiary are the real people, you know? So for example, through the medical, in the government efforts, working with the private hospitals, either in the uh, north and south, they have what we call the one country, one center approach. That means one country, uh, we will have one hospital from Taiwan working with their counterparts so that the patients, the individuals in that country can be benefited from our provision of uh, medical knowledge, diagnosis skills, and even we help training their medical personnel. And those, the end result, the end target, the end purpose are the people. That's why we focus on people-centered rather than the old way that during the uh, 1994 to 2000, when the President Li Denghui was, was in power, he launched, we, now we call the Go South policy. At that time, tried to diverse, trace diverse the uh, Go West economic investment to China was the only main purpose. So investment, economic, cooperation, and trade was uh, the only, was the only domain. And now we expand to many, many aspects. So it's a very comprehensive. And the comprehensive approach, the all-in, scale to the people can benefit from, uh, from our new South Point policy in the region. So New South Park policy is our uh, people-centered regional strategy under President uh, Tsai Ing-wen. Well, great. I'd like to delve a little bit deeper into, you know, an aspect of these people-to-people ties. At the recent uh, New Southbound and New Immigrants Policies Forum in July, you stressed the role of family in the New Southbound policy. Do you build a little bit on what you mean by family and how this plays into both Taipei's vision for the NSP as well as sort of the, the guiding principles of the NSP. I use the 5M to characterize the uh, the new Southbound policy under Tsai Ing-wen. 
the first M is uh, make money, which is nothing uh, special. Through the government effort to boost two-way trade, two-way investment, and hopefully they can benefit from each other and make money together. That's the first M. The second M is uh, make jobs. That means we create jobs through investment in both in Southeast Asia and South Asia through the Taiwan Taiwan business uh, investment. So we create jobs. We create million jobs in Southeast Asia and South Asia, and we also create jobs through migrant workers in Taiwan. We have a seven hundred thousand migrant workers working at this moment in Taiwan, and that's called uh, we create jobs too. Number number three is we make. That's what I call. We make family. As you are、uh, maybe aware, that we have a one hundred seventy thousand married migrants living in Taiwan. More ninety nine percent of are female from Southeast Asia. The majority from、uh, Indonesia and Vietnam, who married to Taiwanese male, and so they make families. So this is very unique. That's what I call make families. So family has played a part. Of the intimacy, so New Song's policy has this intimacy aspect of it. So we hope to treat these、uh, the our daughter-in-laws. There's a 170,000 plus minus daughter-in-laws from Southeast Asia, cross-border marriage、uh, migrant, can be nicely treated with our program to live here well and to live comfortably, and eventually they will be Taiwanese citizen too. And also, they also give already give birth about more than one hundred thousand childrens from these families, and they are automatic automatically will be a Taiwanese citizen. So that's what I call families. So that that also echo the Western slogan called "Charity begins at home." So if we can start treating those seven hundred thousand. Migrant workers well, in the with decency, and we protect their human rights, protect their employment conditions, and that will help the new spouse bond policy to be effective in the other countries in the Southeast Asia and South Asia. And if we we treat nicely one hundred seventy thousand marriage uh, migrants uh, in Taiwan, then certainly through their mouth, through their support, and.、Uh, We certainly will gain the respect from the countries where they come from.、Uh, the number, the this article, family make families.、Uh, so the other, the number four M is、uh, we also call make friends, and through NGO, through think tank, through art and、uh, cultural exchange, we'll make friends of all fields. And the last M I call it make values, and that's related to. Human right,、uh, equality, equity, and also human right, democracy,、uh, among other values. So as we hope, we can、uh, through the various channels to to respect universal values. So that's what I call number five:、uh, make values. So these five aims can be can be seen as the holistic entity. Of the new spouse policy, so money is only one of the five. Do you think that 
that existing human rights issues such as the treatment of migrants are currently damaging Taiwan's reputation among the NSP target countries? Do they feel like Taiwan is doing enough to address these issues? Or is it making people hesitant to come to Taiwan and to engage in these programs? No, I don't think so. Taiwan record actually is quite good in terms of treating migrant workers. I think it's a good, but we are not perfect. That's definitely we are not perfect. But the one, one area I think Taiwan has been criticized is a fisherman, long aviation uh, fishermen. I think they have been damaging Taiwan's image in terms of this fisherman's treatment. For example, they were not well treated in terms of the working condition and the salary was not well protected and so on and so forth. So, but now in the control yuan, jian ta yuan, has been take has been taking this issue very seriously, and they come out with uh, many policy recommendations. So I think that can be used as our effort to improve the migrant workers, especially in the overseas uh, yuan yang, the long shot fishermen's conditions. So the other thing, for example, we. Uh, we in in Taiwan's case for the domestic helper or the manufacturing workers, our record um, can be improved definitely, but we are not on the blacklist. I haven't heard any countries in the Southeast Asia or the new smartphone policy countries demanding that they are not to not to send their workers to Taiwan. Uh, if you compare with other countries, Taiwan's record has been on the relatively positive side. Going off of what you said, I mean, talking about these uh, democratic ideas and political ideas, Taiwan's democratic ideals are touted as a way of improving relations with international allies. However, the strategy varies in effectiveness based on which countries Taipei is trying to attract. So how effective is this strategy when it comes to countries included in the NSP? So which countries are more likely to gravitate towards Taiwan's commitment to democracy? You are correct that among the 18 countries targeted at our new Southbound policy, Australia and New Zealand are the free and democratic countries. Uh, the, other, uh, the other 16 in Southeast Asia 10 and uh, 6 in South Asia, that even include India and, uh, and the Himalaya countries, are partly free countries. Democracy was not 100% and fully guaranteed or protected. So that's true. We have to, uh, to take this democratic value assistance or democratic value exchange very carefully not to upset the, the government there. So what we do is to, through think tank. Uh, we hope to through think tank and to talk about democratic governance instead of uh, regime types. So that's just one way to use good governance instead of uh, democracy. I think that one we have to be, uh, be very cautious. And second approach is try through uh, the young leaders training course. Uh, new young leaders training 
sessions. Every year we have been holding, we call it Taiwan, Southeast Asia, and South Asia uh, Youth Camp. And we, are, we have been working with the AIT here to uh, invite, to recruit young leaders, either in college or in NGO, or even with in uh, civil servants, and to come to Taiwan online or come to Taiwan in person, or uh, during the last two years, we were forced to do online as well. And so that we can provide the opportunity for them to to be familiar with the Taiwan experience. And we invite lectures uh, to talk about women empowerment. We talk about young young leaders in the community efforts. We talk about the uh, media literacy and so on and so forth. So therefore, we, we are not going to do the hard sell democracy push. So I think we are doing to talk about economic democracy. We talk about social democracy. We talk about good governance. So I think we have to make communication effective by expanding the domains, the field, the areas of democracy. So shifting a little bit to Taiwan's relationship with the PRC, due to worries of angering the PRC, there are many ASEAN members who may be hesitant about strengthening ties with Taiwan through the NSP. Um, What can Taipei do to counter this? That's very true. That's just a hard fact that in many uh, Southeast Asian countries under the pressure of the PRC, uh, not very positive, not very proactive in developing uh, formal or, or more open relations with Taiwan under the NSP's policy. But if you through look at the government's full flagship, the reception was quite positive through economic and trade, through agricultural cooperation, through medical and public health relations, and through our NGO cooperation, through the Young Leaders Camp, through art and cultural exchange. So when you are talking about the Southeast Asian countries are hesitant to develop relations with Taiwan, you are only referring to the formal diplomatic or government-to-government relations. If we are speaking of that, yes, very true. But if you talk about non-governmental, there are huge and broad field that we can explore. So we, we don't worry about much. NSP is not a diplomatic policy as such or per se. Public diplomacy can be included. Cultural diplomacy can be included, but not in a rigid conventional definition of diplomacy. So I don't worry about too much, but we have to move to push to implement New South policy in a much more sophisticated way so that we can reach our goal. According to Dr. Xiao, one positive sign has been the ASEAN response to the PRC's aggressive military actions at the beginning of August. The PRC's uh, aggressive military drills, that caught the attention of uh, the ASEAN's foreign ministers. They issue a, a statement demanding China to refrain from his aggression and military coercion in the Taiwan Strait. So this is the first time. So it's a, it's a good beginning. We hope that the Southeast Asian countries can be more proactive to protect, along with Taiwan, 
the peace and stability in this region. So it might take time. It will take time, definitely. Great. And I, I think that's a great transition into kind of a, a closing section here. You mentioned that this takes time, that this is something, you know, soft power is not something that happens immediately. Soft power influence, these people to people ties aren't something that, you know, pops up overnight. They, they develop over time. So I'd be interested to hear, given that you've talked about this and, you know, the, painted such this sophisticated picture of Taiwan soft power, you know, what do you see for the future of it? What are some opportunities and challenges facing Taiwan as it tries to build its soft power and strengthen these these cultural, these people-to-people ties with other nations around the world? I can mention two things that we in the Taiwan Extra Exchange Foundation has done. One is uh, we did a study of Taiwan's NGOs in the last two years working under the attack of the uh, COVID-19. We have uh, 30 important NGOs working in more than 10 countries in Southeast Asia and South Asia, working in the field to help them, to help the people there. The beneficiary of our NGO's efforts from Taiwan are 8 million, and they spend about 150 million NT in the field, ranging from efforts in emergency relief, educational help, reducing psychological stress, developing mobile services, and also strengthening sanitary facilities and health system, distributing daily necessities, and even sometimes have to cash relief, providing epidemic prevention supplies and health education, and also offering emergency aid to mitigate the impact of a compound disasters, sharing Taiwan experience, of uh, containing outbreaks and among other things. So I think according to our survey, according to our 30 NGOs report, 8 million individuals in the region has benefited from Taiwan NGOs field effort. So I think uh, the people there will know they got benefits from Taiwan and they can, they would develop a fine fund and likable relations, likable impression of Taiwan. So I think NGO is what, what we very much emphasized. And we keep emphasizing the importance of NGO to our government. Our government cannot take care of everything when you come to people-to-people approach, when we talk about NSP's people-centered approach. Uh, this is one thing. And second thing in terms of if we talk about impression, uh, we also wanted to change the Taiwan impre- image in the region and to change, to improve the Taiwan businessmen, uh, businesses impression. So we did a survey. We did a, a case study of uh, local images of Taiwan and Taiwanese business in three countries. The first three years ago, we did in Vietnam. And two years ago, we did in uh, Indonesia. And last year, we did in uh, Thailand. And the finding was interesting that this, the sample are the businessmen who have been working uh, in the past with Taiwan counterpart. So we examine their images, their positive or negative image of Taiwan in comparison with other, many other investing investors' countries. And usually 
uh, more than 10 countries will be compared with Taiwan. And we have found in Vietnam, Taiwan is number two most favorable countries. And in Thailand, also number two. And uh, in Indonesia, we are num ranked number six out, out of uh, 11 countries who has uh, invested in Indonesia. So, so those are the small case studies, small cases we want uh, to do in our foundation. Uh, uh, to first one to be, we wanted to be informed about what is the images of Taiwan in the countries we are trying to work with. So are there any developments that we should be aware of in the coming months? I believe that the Yushan Forum is, is coming up in October. Also, is there anything we haven't covered that you would like to discuss in our remaining time? Also, uh, we at the Taiwan Asia Exchange Foundation serve as a think tank uh, for the new South Fund policy. We also publish a sort of a policy report. Uh, we published two reports on Taiwan-Indian relations. So that shows how much we emphasize, how much we wanted to improve the Taiwan-Indian relations. And we are working on this year on the Taiwan-Australia relations. So those are the policy issues. And again, when we talk about how to improve, how to grasp the expanding the relationship through the bilateral. We are talking about bilateral relations. Uh, that means we want to expand our many aspects of the relationship. So next we were in terms of what we mentioned about Taiwan image and the Taiwan business image. This year we are going to do, we are doing now at this moment on the in the Taiwan image and the Taiwan business image in Singapore. Uh, so that will be very interesting for us to see. So um, the approach we are taking, uh, let me emphasize, let me emphasize that bilateral. Uh, as you are all aware, and everybody is, is aware, the ASEAN uh, approach is called non-interventionism. And they, uh, they are very cautious uh, to move, to improve, to advance relations with Taiwan. So we are taking uh, much more safe way uh, approach is called bilateral. So this is one. And the, in terms of October, uh, the coming months, we are going to have the ESAN Forum in October 7th. And October 8th, we are going to hold the first ever the Taiwan-Indian Dialogue. And we will work with the two important things. One is the National Maritime Foundation. The other one, Observer uh, Research Foundation. And there will be uh, six uh, think tankers coming from India. And we will organize a half day, a half day seminar and a three days visit for them to know more about Taiwan. And we would, we would certainly try to develop a uh, solid and uh, important uh, approaches to consolidate and improve the Taiwan's rela relations uh, with India. Again, these are the uh, are the uh, think tank dialogue, think tank approach, and that is not a governmental to governmental. Thank you so much for joining us today and talking about all these different levels of interaction. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you to Dr. Xiao for granting us such a pivotal interview ahead of the Yushan Forum on October 7th and 8th. 
and speaking on the importance of people-to-people ties in the new Southbound policy. This podcast was made possible in part by the Taiwan Academy Spotlight Taiwan Grant. Production assistance is from Adrian Wu and Marshall Reed. Thank you also to our staff and interns for your support in making this episode possible. Intro and background music is by I'm Difficult, Wolsher Ji Cho Xiaomu. The Global Taiwan Institute is a 501c3 think tank located in Washington, D.C. If you're interested in learning more about GTI, be sure to check out our website at globaltaiwan.org, where you can find information about our Global Taiwan Brief and our frequent public seminars. You can also listen to more episodes of Taiwan Salon on Spotify, Google Podcasts, and wherever else you get your podcasts, as well as on our website's podcast page. Thank you for listening, and until next time.